Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, or shall I say good afternoon. My name is Jeanette Abney, and I want to thank you for joining me here for another episode here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. I want to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me and giving me the activities of my limbs. I also want to thank my loyal listeners that join in and listen to the show. And I wanna, all I want to say is thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's basically all I can say. Now, I've been saying that I'm going to do better, and we know that you're supposed to do better, and that is so, so true. But I am trying to cook me some lunch, and because I know I have a busy day today, as well as doing the show, so I'm going to have to go in there and make sure I ain't burning the house down. So let me log on the first caller. Good afternoon. This is Jeanette. How are you doing? Number ended in zero three. Yeah, that's me, Oliver. How are you doing? You know what? Thank you, Oliver. You have been such a blessing to my life, such a blessing to the audience. I want to thank you for your obedience, and I want to thank you for the information and valuable information that you share. First, tell the listeners who you are, what you do, while I go turn my eggs off. <laughs> okay. Tell the listeners who you are, Dr. Oliver. Okay. Uh, Oliver Thompson, professor of justice studies, Riverside City College, a uh, longtime retired law enforcement officer of 35 years. And I've been in the classroom since 1968, along with law enforcement career. And the reason I brought this up to uh, uh, Ms. Abney uh, from last week. And I hope today we can have a discussion and it doesn't get into a finger-pointing and a blame uh, session whereby I am not blaming the African-American community. I am African-American. I was uh, born in legal sanction back in Oklahoma in 1942. I lived in that through 1980. So I understand mm-hmm. this whole situation. Down to about the black family, just that I and I have four children, three males, mm-hmm. and away from uh, really zeroing in discussion on responsibility of the black family, paying mm-hmm. to societal issues, Thank you. income, mm-hmm. and all of that. But uh, I would have a discussion. And not finger point and say, well, it's a Cosby type thing and all that. Gotcha. Well, you know what? Like I said, I want to thank you for bringing this topic to my attention, which we've talked about things of such in the past. But more than ever today, we definitely need it. So I had wrote down some information, and I got a whole lot of questions that I want to talk to you about. Now, when we talk about responsibilities of the black community, when it comes to the black community, what is the responsibility of its residents as well as others? Because a lot of times we'll say, well, that's none of my business or I moved from the hood. But see, but the problem is the issues are still there, whether you move from the neighborhood or not. Now, there is so much, like you said earlier, blame, shame, misunderstanding, and even guilt being put on individuals as it relates to the community. Now, what is the real issue? And do individuals outside of the community really know what's going on? 
And not only do they really know what's going on, do they even care about what's going on? Did they create the situation within the black community? And we all have a responsibility. But trust is another issue. And you know what, Dr. Oliver, before I was I was, I was cooking my breakfast, because I'm sitting here with, with an omelet, some sausage, toast, and avocado sitting in front of my face with my coffee because I haven't ate all day. The question I had to answer myself when talking about do people really care, I had to question myself, why do I care? And as I was putting this together and I was in the kitchen and I thought about that, you know, why do you care? And my answer is because somebody cared about me. Somebody cared enough about me while I was growing up in Compton, realizing that my books were stamped obsolete, realizing that I came from a single home where my mother was an alcoholic, father did drugs, gangs, all of this stuff, all the decisions and all the stuff that was before me. But somebody cared enough about me, even in my childhood, adult life. And that's why I care. And that's why, and I have a co-therapist sister. She's always tell me, God knows he can trust you. And I used to be like, well, what does that mean? So I've got individuals are calling, are coming in, because we've got to call the call on the line right now. I need to log on. Because trust is a big concern when it comes to the black community, because we don't know who to trust and who not to trust. So let me log on this call. Oh, we got Okay. Hello. Hi, this is Jeanette. I'm going to break it today. Jeanette, number ended in 5-6. How are you doing? Yes, how are you? You're kind of breaking up a little bit as I listen on a computer and on the phone. I just want to let you know that. Um, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw the title of the show, and I thought it was a very interesting title, and I, I just wanted to contribute that when we talk about uh, – you know, responsibility in the community, so on and so forth. We, we don't we don't ever consider the fact that uh, a great bulk of our demographic group just don't understand what's happening around them. Mm-hmm. We don't know a lot of the force. Let me give you an example. Let's take the issue of housing, the mm-hmm. issue of uh, affordable housing or subsidized housing, most of which. African American people don't own. So let's say you live in a part of. Let's say you live in a, a a neighborhood where you own your house as a black person, but you live near some uh, some houses uh, that are subsidized or mm-hmm. what you call low income housing. And then you, we have to understand that a lot of the people that own a lot of this property in our neighborhoods uh, are not from our community. And the people who are living in these, these substandard housing where you have blight because blight is allowed to happen, yeah, you can pick up paper and so on and so forth, but when there's a plumbing issue, when there's a, roof, a, a leaky roof and other infrastructural things that the person themselves can't do because they don't own the property, then we have to look at how all of this stuff adds up, and there's a lot of confusion that's really going on. We don't understand a lot of what we see in front of our faces and forces around that kind of benefit and perpetuate these things. And we kind of often beat ourselves up endlessly, beat ourselves up, and we don't have no proper analysis of what we see. 
Well, you're, you're right, and I agree with you on a lot of the, what you just said because understanding is huge. A lot of people don't understand. When I was growing up in Compton, and when we talk about the black community, it doesn't matter what state. You know, I can think of some of the rap songs, and they sing the song Just Like Compton, Oakland, Just Like Compton. No matter where you're at, we're seeing the same issues, and people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was talking to a male friend of mine. He's talking about property. His mother passed away and left him with like 30-something properties. This man got properties all over the place. And the one thing he said was, I'm pissed off. And a lot of people are pissed off because they don't understand the system. And they get angry at the system for what they don't understand. It's like I was, I got upset with the IRS the other day. And I wrote, a, when I sent them a check, I told them, please leave me alone. Leave me alone. My daughter said, Mom, you can't be telling the IRS to leave you alone. I will write a letter in a heartbeat. Leave me the hell alone. So one of the things is understanding. We got involvement. Individuals need to be involved. And the destruction, because there's a lot of destruction that goes along with that, too. Now, with all the stuff that's going on, some things, the words came to my mind. One was protect, provide as well as pray. But sometimes even when we talk about those three things, how do we protect our community? So I'm going to ask you that question, Dr. Oliver, because I know you are involved in education. I know you've been involved in quite a few things, even with policing, law enforcement policies. You're very well knowledgeable and and well-rounded. How do we protect our black community? Well, number one, I'm older than probably both of you guys put together. I'm 79 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think differently than most people do. Uh, I could probably come off as Cosby-ish uh, because I believe that the problem with the community begins with two people. They are called the mother and the father. Okay. Now, you'll notice I didn't say parents. Correct. I said two people, mother and a father. The mother provides the egg. The man provides the sperm. Out of that comes a living child. I am an illegitimate child because my mother and father never married. Mm-hmm. I never knew either of them. So when it comes down to caring, it was my rearing parent of my five generations black women from mm-hmm. my great-great-grandmother all the way up to my great-aunt who took care of me at 1231 North Greenwood in Tulsa, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, the so-called Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. and ensured I understood what it meant to be a citizen in America wow. in a legally sanctioned state. Mm-hmm. So where I point the finger even when it comes down to the young man was talking about housing. I was taught about housing when I was a kid growing up. Of mm-hmm. own your property, don't rent property, because at the end of the year, you've got 12 different colored receipts that means nothing toward the building of the financial status of your family. So right. I pointed back to those two people who had a child, who did not do their job as it pertains to rearing of that child, not raising, the rearing of that child in so many aspects that we find at fault and deficiency here in America. That's where it starts with me. 
And that's what I teach and talk about in the classroom. Dr. Oliver, like you said, we have different age groups. And I, I really hope that some of the younger generations call in because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s, and I hear you. And it's interesting you said that because when you talk about home ownership, things are changing so. So even when I get off the phone, I mean, off the air, I need to call some banks. I need to research. I need to look into some things because a lot of things are not taught. Parents sometimes don't know no better. I had to realize my parents didn't know any better, but my mother did buy her home in the 60s. So she bought her house in 1968, and I still have the house that my mother bought because I refused to sell it. Now, if it would have been up to my siblings or anybody, they tell, give me some money, do this. I'm not doing that. But even in the house that I'm in now, I did a modification. And I'm looking at, by the time I get finished with this, I'm going to pay a million dollars for a house that I bought for 116000 20 years ago because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So we got to go back to educating, teaching individuals about black wealth, finances, all of that. Now, thank God I'm in a situation financially. I'm good. I am in a really good position. But it wasn't something that people taught me. It was something, well, not my parents, because they couldn't teach me because they didn't know themselves. I remember having a conversation with my father and he before he was murdered, and he was talking about starting a transition living home. And I said, oh, so you want to do a nonprofit organization. I don't want no nonprofit. I don't want nothing. I ain't going to make no profit. He didn't even know what the heck he was talking about. So sometimes individuals get frustrated when you're trying to help them and we start talking about the black community. And it's not that they want a handout. Some things they just don't know. And so we talk about then make Then make yourself available to get educated. Correct, but you've got to make it to where people are not intimidated by it. Now, I am highly educated, and I tell people, I had somebody busting up the other day. I said, I don't know everything. I know what I need to know, but I use, I called it the, uh, <laughs> I said GTA. No, I said something about GT something. And they said, what you talking about? I said, I'm going to Google that shit. What I don't know, I'm going to Google it. You know, and the thing is, individuals are intimidated by that. So when we start talking about protecting we got to protect what's ours, invest in what's ours, provide by providing that information in place. Now, sir, I know you got something to say. What you got to say? Because I hear it. Yeah, what I want to say to the to the to the gentleman and yourself. See, we all could beat ourselves on the chest about what we have and so on and so forth. But you actually have our people out here suffering and mm-hmm. are disconnected. I was at the gas station just a while ago. And it's the second day in a row I've seen this. I went to the gas pump. The young black boy came and said, could you give me a dollar? I'll, I'll, I'll put gas in your car. He said, I need to get something to eat. Well, I mm. want to say, what is it you want to eat? So I went in and got something to eat from. Yesterday, it happened. So this was today. It happened yesterday. Many of our people in these communities and cities have been moved about by policy, they're, they're being relocated from one part of a city, like in New Orleans. I'm in New Orleans, okay? And so as a result of gentrification, large populations are being relocated from one part of the city out to another part of the city. This attitude that some of us have where you preach to the people and you look down upon them, that is not going to help. No, no. I mean, and so so... 
it's good to say I had a mom and dad or I had somebody, but there are a lot of young people who are in uh, uh, whatever generation from their family who are just totally disconnected. Even the education systems in these cities are being politicized to be privatized, and these kids are being left out because of this fraudulent school choice stuff going on. The people are exploited, and they're being exploited, and we shouldn't be a part of that exploitation by beating ourselves in the chest like King Kong, saying, look what I got, look what I did, why you can't do it too? And you got children out here hungry, literally hungry. Well, and you know what, and that's uh, true. And that's, uh, let, let me no, think about that, oh, Dr. Oliver, and yeah, I'll let you speak in regard no, to that. No, no. I hear what he's saying, and the thing is, it's like when I left Compton, I left Compton in 1986. I get so upset sometimes with my son because he act like he was born and raised in Compton, and he wasn't. And it, it, and, and the thing become an image. Now, I, I'm more of a giver, and like I said, I had to question myself. Jeanette, why do you care? And like I said, because people cared for me. It wasn't like, you know, I was giving handouts or anything like that, but they invested in me. And so even though every weekend I go back to the neighborhood, people do things, I give, I participate. Friends that I know that were struggling, I've loaned some money. And I know I ain't going to get some of my money back, but it don't even matter because I know they're hurting People are hurting, and hurt people will hurt other people. But we have to listen, too. Sometimes we try to give what we think they want, and that may not be what they want or even what they need. We have to listen to the community. And I love talking to my seniors because you can gather wisdom. And I look at it like a culturation and a simulation. I understand where Dr. Oliver is even coming from, as well, if I would have my daughter on the air right now, and she's in her 30s and dealing with some of the issues, and, the, and now I got her living in Compton. She didn't grow up in Compton. You know, she's educated. She would want to buy a house. She And she's watching because she paid attention to me and some of the things. So we have to learn how to set examples, but we do have to encourage individuals as well as follow through. Because I've been watching a lot of movies and stuff, and, you know, and I see people, they go into these neighborhoods, and they go up with this arterial motive, or they sell themselves out, or they sell other people out, and people are not going for that anymore. Don't underestimate individuals. But we do got to find a way of building that trust. Now, Dr. Oliver, what was you about to say? Um, uh, you know, to the brother in Louisiana, you misunderstood what I'm saying. Brother, I am not beating myself on the chest. I came to California at 19 years of age with a little more than 30 and less than $40 in my pocket. I have taken care of my family. That was my provision that was drilled into me. Three mm-hmm. boys, the oldest is 59, the youngest is 44, and my daughter, who is 52 years of age. It was my job to provide for them, and I'm not beating myself on the chest because I have taken care of my family. So when it comes down to taking care of, I am responsible for the taking care of my family. That's what I do. That's what I'm known as with those children of mine and grandchildren and all of that. So don't berate me when you end up saying I'm not beating myself on the chest. I've 
I, I have busted my ass. Gotcha. Dr. Oliver, That's I want what to say I do. This. Dr. Oliver, I want to say this. Because one of the things that we talk about responsibilities in our community is we are so sensitive. We don't try to be insensitive, but we can be sensitive. Now, sometimes, and some things are instilled in us. Like I said, I'm the oldest of three, and I'm in my 50s. I hear you in your 70s. And I always thought it was my responsibility. But I also learned that sometimes I can enable someone. I also learned that if I if I had if I do everything, what you gonna do for you? So sometimes we talk about protecting individuals. We can protect individuals in ways that's not always financial. It's other ways that we can protect them. There's other things we can do for our family. So I hear it, but I didn't hear him berate you. I, I did not hear that. And sometimes I'm not what happens. Okay. Gotcha. I, I didn't. I did, I said we. I put. I put myself into that. I said we, and I'm 63. So let me say this now. I have right there in California. I probably have no less than a thousand relatives because that was the place family in Louisiana went out there. That's how I wind up in California. My mama left Louisiana. She, my grandmother yeah, left. Yeah. So, so we might. We, we might be cousins. We could be cousins. You see. So what my point is, one thing my, my parents and grandparents taught us, they said, you always remember that what you've been blessed with and what you have, others don't have. Right. And so it's the sense of compassion. Mm-hmm. There are people out here who don't have the mother. They may have a biological mother, but that mother is not capable of helping or teaching them. Same with a father. And whatever world all of us grew up in at the time we grew up in, it's even more different today. It is. And so these young people, the last thing these young people need, because the society already looks down on them and condemns them, the last thing they need is for their own time to give them the same contempt. There's compassion we lack among ourselves and among those of us who have the least and don't have a way in how to get themselves on a track to live some kind of life. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we talk about second chances. I was watching a movie the other day, and it was interesting because there was two brothers. One was a politician, the other one was a street person, but their father was a pastor. And the street person became a street person because that was, that was, that's what he had. That's what he knew. The politician was just as much of a street person as his brother was. But they still needed each other because they needed something from each other. And they couldn't judge each other. But what was interesting about this movie was he, there was a woman. And when the man finally saw this woman again, he told the woman, you never talk down to me. You never treated me differently, no matter what type of person I was. And, you know, and the one thing he said, and I've heard people say this to me before, you made me a better person. Sometimes that's what people need, is for someone to allow them to be that better person. So when we start talking about the black community, we do have to stop beating people up. I brown ball and people, you know, people, but we do got to find a way of, and I tell individuals, even as a therapist, I have to be able to connect with you 
before I can help to try to correct anything. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to get you to think. And I've always had a strong, outgoing personality, and I tell people, I ain't scared of nothing. But I, you know, so, but that was something that was instilled in me by my parents and what I grew up and what I saw. But I remember even on the 4th of July, when my cousins was having a party, it was in Watts. My daughter was like, Mom, you know, we don't go to Watts. You know, I don't know nothing about Watts. But we had so much fun in Watts. But my mother had us scared to go to Watts and certain parts of L.A. And, you know, so one of the things is we stigmatize and we stereotype stereotype the black community and there's a lot of wealth in the black community if it wasn't the mayors of Compton wouldn't have been arrested and going to jail for stealing and all this other stuff politicians wouldn't be trying to get all of this property and when we talk about gentrification and redlining so we just gotta know our wealth and we gotta know and understand our strength and you know what ma'am yes. you know what ma'am is it is those among our group who are the most successful, who are the weakest link, because they should know how to organize the community into prosperity. But you can't take people, you can't take people who are being kicked around and then expect them to be the people that's supposed to make it happen. And that's what we got going on, you see. And we have to really, really watch how we've been conditioned and trained to analyze our own condition and not look at ourselves through the lenses and eyeglasses of other people. Well, you know, I'm going to say this. Like I said, I don't know where my strength comes from. I know it comes from the Lord, but I didn't even trust and believe that when I was younger. But I didn't like nobody telling me no. I did not like no. I knew as a kid, this is not for me. I deserve more, and I want more. So when I had to go do this and go do that, but my mother kept telling me, Jeanette, with an education, you can do whatever you want. Jeanette, with an education, my mother made me become an educated threat. So where I've seen letters written by attorneys saying, we don't want to talk to Ms. Abney. She has a cavalier approach. She Because I'm not scared. And I will listen to you because I know you don't even know your own policies. I know you wrote these laws, and you weren't even paying no attention because it wasn't even written for me. Or if it was written for me, I would find a loophole in it. So that's where I was a little different. But I'm 55 years old now. Hell, I'm tired. So I'm ready to pass the torch. But those that still connect with me or call me, even as a therapist, I tell people my practice is full, but I will still take the time to hear what they need to guide them in the right direction. And I don't do it for money, nor am I a sellout. So sometimes people lose their way and forget where they came from. And that's the problem. You know, you know, you can't take everybody with you. But if you see they need a ride, don't act like you don't see them. That's where I think it makes a difference. Now, I want to I wanna bring up some things that, you know, because I was watching, because like I said, I'm, I'm big with watching the news, looking at social media. I was looking at something in regards to, um, it was a story about a woman, a, a kid named Grace. And they were talking about criminal justice and criminal and reform. And one of the things that she was talking about was this little kid had some problems. She had ADHD. And because she had problems focusing in school, she was aggressive, fighting with her mother, and they put the girl in juvenile hall for not doing her homework. And the problem was, it wasn't that she really had a learning disability. She was bored. 
She was bored. And the thing is, when they finally gave her a chance, she proved them wrong and turned her whole life around. So sometimes when we see individuals in the black community, you know, like people talk about Compton and we got the um, the Vanessa, not Vanessa, we got the, the Williams sisters and we got, um, you know, a, a lot. And that's some people, there's a lot of good people and a lot of good things that have come out of the black community. But just don't forget you're black. Don't forget and don't let anybody tell you you're not. So we well, have to well, shy yeah. away from that too because that's a big issue. You are... Uh... You remember the movie Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier played in called A Piece of the Action? You remember yeah, that movie? I remember that. With, um, you remember the, yeah. yeah, remember the young people they had to work with, and there was a scene where uh, one of the students confronted the teacher, and she began to say to the teacher, the only reason why you have a job is because of us. Yep. Because of this program, and you take, and you know, she she was wrong. Now the student was wrong for confronting the lady that way and caused the lady to cry. Mm-hmm. But when you watch that movie, a piece of the action, what was true then in the acting and was true today is how angry these kids are. Yeah. And you remember that scene where they played interview? They played interview, and one of the young men went through playing interview, and he actually broke out crying, you know, because he was actually telling the, the other kid who was interviewing him, you know, why did he want a job? And he's talking about the smaller problems he had. These things are real. You know, we have, to, we have to talk to people. Yeah. I remember growing up in the Compton Unified School District, and I was in 11th grade. I was class president. I was a drug majorette. I was Spanish president. I did a whole lot of stuff, but I remember taking an algebra trigonometry class, and my teacher failed me on a test because I got the same answer the teacher got, but the teacher told me it was impossible for me to get that answer. And I showed the teacher step by step because I didn't cheat. Step by step. And the teacher told me I was wrong. How could I be wrong because I got the same answer you got? So, see, we don't allow people to to give, we don't give them a chance. And that is true. And then some of these programs and and things that they bring into the community, there's money behind it. And then we have what happened is a misappropriation of funds. I found that out when I bought my own pro, when I bought a corporation. I bought a corporation from people that I got fired three times in one year and didn't realize that my company had contracts with them. Lord, those people was mad as hell. But it's been almost 16 years, and I'm still the other center for the human of addiction. And I do domestic violence groups. I do substance abuse groups. I do anger management groups. I do parenting, co-parenting. I mental health. I walk and I talk. I mean, I talk with individuals from all walks of life. I have police officers because I have EAP contracts. I'm on insurance panels, and I mind giving people jobs, individuals, helping them to start their own company because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But by that same token, I was placed in a position to where I get to see a lot of these issues, and I do no harm, because I believe in doing the right thing no matter what. But the one thing I could truly say about telehealth, and this is not bragging, I remember a, a person asked me, because they was trying to put me out of business so many times, and it was a, um, oh, God, I can't think of his name, but he had a, um, a church called Core. It was Christ, I believe, in Irvine. And he asked me, 
how many African-American clients do you have? And the lady that was with me, my friend, she looked at me because she knew I didn't have any. They didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to come to me for therapy because they thought I couldn't teach them anything. But now on my caseload, because of telehealth, I have individuals on my caseload in Sacramento. They, black folks calling me from cities I ain't never even heard of in my life. Because now they're reaching out because they want some help. They know they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they, they're like, look, I need some help with this. But before, yeah, I got five locations. I have an office in Fullerton, Garden Grove, Huntington Beach, Oceanside, and Marietta. But now I come out the house one day a week. I do more talking on the phone or via Zoom or telehealth. So there are, there are resources out there, but we got to tap into our resources. Now, Dr. Oliver, I know you are an educator, and you're in the educational system. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Because now when we start even talking about um, not only with, I was talking about this, with education and individuals being bored, we got this vaccination where they're telling kids you can't go back to school unless you're vaccinated. In our community, people are hesitant about this. Now, I'm not pro, I'm not con, I'm going to say I'm not vaccinated. Even when I have clients calling me, well, I want to see you face-to-face. I, I got the vaccination. Well, I don't. I'm not taking no chances. So what are some of the ways that we can help to empower more young minds to bring them on board to, so that they can do things to help their communities? Well, for risk of being uh, whatever, uh, I've lived in Inglewood for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. I came there in 1991, and I still have the house, 7845 West Boulevard in Inglewood, California. That's where my uh, youngest son, 44, and his wife and five <laughs> children are there at that location. Wait, 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 not to cut you off, but I'm going to say this. There was a man on Facebook not too long ago that went to this man's house, and he was like, if you want to with me, get with me. My address is and they had all kind of people at that man's house. Be careful with giving out your address. I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. And I have gang members who live around me at 7845, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I, what, I, what, I've been, what, what I've been doing is through uh, Midnight Basketball, through Umoja, Ujima program, the Riverside City College, where I've been since 1998, of dealing with young people, uh, being transparent about my life, how I got to where I am, what I've mm-hmm. done, et cetera, how I got there, who, who enabled me. Uh, at Riverside City College, at Cal State L.A., at University of Southern California, uh, and and thanking people who have done things that brought me up. I'm standing Mm -hmm. on the shoulders of my ancestors, that type of thing. So it's a matter of showing up so that people will understand because they see the image and they hear you day after day after day. The reason mm-hmm. we talk, uh, took our 15-year-old son to Inglewood from Riverside in 1991 was that I wanted him to see a black man getting up every day and going to work. And he was 15. He's now 44 years of age. And Dad is still getting up, going mm-hmm. to work on a daily basis. So what I'm responsible for, and when you say the responsibility, and for the 60 for, for the year old man down in Louisiana, Brother, all I'm responsible for is for me and my children to provide for them. Do we do outreach? 
been doing it for 20-some years in the school system at RCC of touching those students. I've been teaching since March of last year online, reaching out, being hopeful to get back in August so I can get back into in-person and all that. So Uh I take this as a personal responsibility. I don't Uh look for nobody else to do anything because I understand people do not understand me and my journey and my struggles and and will think, well, you've always had that. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. So I take care of mine and those that are outside through the church, Vine Light Christian Fellowship in Riverside, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. In the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But you know, Dr. Oliver, you said something that I want to piggyback on. When I was talking about the address and you talked about the gang members and we talked about the responsibility of the black community, one of the things is with gang members. I remember when I bought the Center for the Treatment of Addiction, I started getting in trouble with folks because my mother told me that she said, baby, you're going against the system. The system is designed to keep you in the system and you're trying to get them out. I didn't know that. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I thought if, if you got arrested for possession of a controlled substance or if you had a drug problem and or I needed to refer you to a perinatal program because you're pregnant and on drugs, I was challenging the system and I was getting in trouble because I had too many questions because I was trying to get resources and help for individuals in Orange County and I pissed some folks off is what I did. But the thing is, when I realized that I was like, uh-oh, this could be a problem. And none people started getting upset with me. I went to the drug dealers and the gangbangers, and I said, I got a problem. And they said, Jeanette, we are not worried about you because you can't save them all. They said, but if you need our help, we got you. And what they meant by that was, I remember being at a restaurant one day with my church family. With my church and this young man kept looking at me and staring at me, and I had never seen that young man in my life. That young man came up to me and knew me, said my name. He said, I protect you. He said, I watch your office. I know what you do, and I know who you are. He said, because I've been told to make sure you okay. So when we start talking about protecting our and responsibility for our black community, I, they, some of the gang members, people on drugs, they feel responsible for me. When things happen or when I get in trouble, I go to them and they come to me. So we all bear a responsibility because even if it's in our home or outside of our home, straight bullets and stuff ain't got no name. So therefore, when we start talking about responsibility, I'm not saying that whatever happens to somebody is somebody's fault, but I was just looking at, um, one of my Facebook friends, I don't know the man personally, but, and I'm going to post it on there. This man has, I don't know how many exactly how many adult children he had, but two of them. One son had an accident and had a mental health issue. His name is Gary. But the, the one of the son had a mental health issue. And the other, so what happened in Compton, they was posting about a, a shootout in Compton on the 4th of July where one brother killed the other brother. The younger brother with a mental health issue killed the older brother. Now, this family reached out for help, was trying to get help within the community and with the mental health system, and they said, basically, we can't do nothing unless they commit a crime. Now you got one kid just killed the other kid in your own family. 
Now, you can't turn your back on the one that's still alive, but now you got to bury the one that's deceased. That is a lot, and that is a thing that's happening in the black community. And so we talk about black-on-black crime. we got family members killing family members. So, Dr. Oliver, even based on what you were saying about your family, what can we do about stuff like that? Because now this man is trying to get money to help with his son who got a mental health issue, legal team, but he just killed his brother. Well, on something on something like that, uh, when you're talking about who's responding out, uh, law enforcement has to respond out, but law enforcement should not respond by themselves, but they should have a mental health team or someone they deal with in DPSS, Child Protective Services, or whatever else the case might be, and they should be uh, bringing on more officers who are trained in mental health situations and how to handle them and not just going there as an armed officer. So you can't abandon them. But then I remember you were talking about programs, a young girl who was put in juvenile hall because she didn't do her homework. Uh, that was Judge uh, Roosevelt Dorn mm-hmm. in Inglewood back in the 1990s. He was a member of Superior Court judge, a member of the Los Angeles County Superior Court. And what he ended up doing was reaching out and finding out young people, young black people, Hispanic people, who were failing in school or whatever, and he would end up putting them on probation, coming to court, and demanding of them that they bring in their great cards at the end of the year. And I can remember so many students there, hundreds of them, who were coming in crying because they had now gotten back to where they should have been because Mm -hmm. somebody cared. Correct. Somebody cared and intervened into their lives. And that's what Let I me. did when I asked myself the question of why do I care? And I said, because somebody cared about me. This particular story that I saw on the news, I wrote it down. Her name was Grace, but she was in Michigan. And now she's an honor student. But this this happened actually in Michigan. But I, And I sit on the SAR when I was, and I'm not doing it right now. But I was part of a SAR panel, which is a student attendance review board, because we had a high school mm-hmm. dropout rate. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. on that panel. And when I sit on the panel, I was a threat to the panel because they didn't want to hear what I had to say because I knew how to assess the needs of the family. So, and so what they were trying to do was hold the parents accountable. But if the parents dropped out of school and don't have a high school education, and now the kid is dropping out of school, you got to break the cycle. Don't just say, I'm going to send you to juvenile hall, because some of them kids don't care if they go to juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. I've worked in juvenile hall, and I'll never forget there was a kid one time that told the staff, if you send somebody else in here, I'm going to stab them. The woman sent, I met that little boy, and that little boy told me his goal was to go to Pelican Bay, and he was 14 already with a child. I had to work my magic and figure out what it was going to take to help And I'll never forget his mother calling me one time, telling me, Jeanette, thank you. Now, I don't know if the boy is dead or alive now, but this kid had robbed Fanmart, was used to smoking PCP, you know, and it's like, Really? So the thing is, we've got to, when you know better, you do better, but we do got to have a better understanding of the system. So that's what I did. I wanted to know what they knew. That's why I studied and was trying to become a law enforcement officer, which they said I didn't qualify, and I went before the Civil Service Commission. That's why I, you know, started studying law, went to school to learn psychology, because I wanted to know. 
And now mm-hmm. I can try to give back by trying to encourage, empower, educate mm-hmm. other people. And because of that, that's how I build trust. I don't build trust mm-hmm. with my clients for drug and alcohol by saying I'm a ex-crackhead or a smoke meth that family. Because I ain't never did that. And they know it. Mm-hmm. I don't lie. I have no reason to lie. So, so what was you about to say? I, no, I wanted to ask Dr. Oliver. Uh, Dr. Oliver, do you know my cousin, Dr. George McKenna? Sure. He was the uh, principal where my daughter went to high school, uh, 98th Street uh, High School. Sure. Oh, okay. okay. George That's Washington, my I'm sorry. George Washington yeah. High School, I'm sorry. Yeah, because a movie, they made a movie about his situation, his story in Denzel Washington played his character but the, but even though George is an African American they, they, they you know he looked like a, a Adam King Powell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's now on the LA County School Board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know, yeah. And his brother lives down the street from me, yeah. His brother is uh, okay. the coroner. His brother's a coroner, uh he had the first black coroner here in New Orleans. A uh, Dwight McKenna. Wow. Dwight McKenna. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Small world. And, and yeah, another amazing. homeboy of mine is Danny Bakewell. I know you know Danny Bakewell. Yeah, who don't know Danny? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, you know yeah. what? And, and this is just amazing, just the way you two are now talking, because you never know who knows who. So when we start That's talking right. about self-respect, self-responsibility, education, finances, role models. We need more role models. And we start talking about role models. Don't just do the talking. Show me by example. You know, and we know nobody is perfect. And even if you're not perfect, tell them, hey, I'm not perfect. I don't tell nobody I'm perfect. Even as a therapist, I tell people, you know, my style is a little different. I'm not a traditional taboo therapist, but whatever works. Like I said, you got to be able to teach self-discipline. So I would say when we start talking about responsibility of the black community, it's sometimes if you don't know, don't be afraid because you don't know. You know, there's one thing to be ignorant, but then there's another thing to just don't even want to learn. That's where it can get really, really, really scary. So even when we start talking about laws, policies, I was, um, today, my phone rang. And a person called my house phone. I don't even know my own home phone number. And they were talking about prescription medication for the seniors. And they were trying, and it gave the number. The lady, I don't know if the lady was lying to me or not. She said it was from um, Mike, Le- Mike Levin's office. I want to know. I know he's a politician, but I'm going to put his phone number out there. Now, the number the woman gave me was 202-225-3906. Because we got individuals, we talk about mental health, we got people that can't even afford medicine. We got individuals that are really, really struggling. Like I said, whether it is their mental health, their physical health, you know, getting in and I was doing my Facebook, I'm looking at my arms like, ooh, Janice, you need to exercise. You know, I got a lifetime membership to 24 hours in this and my butt just messed up. But the thing is, we got to do better. We got to do better. So um, talking about this um, being misunderstood, feared, disrespected, a lot we see in the black community is a form of disrespect. 
Dr. Oliver, what can we do to start respecting individuals no matter who you are or where you come from? Because you don't know people's stories. Well, first of all, we have to be willing for those who come together, allow them to tell their story from their point of view mm-hmm. and not react to it. Mm-hmm. See, we talk about, for example, this whole thing, criminal justice system reform. I wish I was still the police chief in Inglewood because I know exactly what I would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a civil service physician, you can't get rid of me as an at-will or kick me out the door. i got to do something stupid, and I ain't going to do nothing stupid. Mm-hmm. I work with the city manager who works with the city council. Now, you've got some people on the city council and mayors uh, who can be problematic to you, but when you're in a position that's protected, that allows you to do something within your department like change policies. Mm-hmm. I would not hire an officer now. Because I know in Inglewood that was a big problem when I got there in the fifty in the in the nineteen ninety one, fifty some people were killed in homicides. Majority mm-hmm. of them gang related. By the time I ended up retiring, we were down to zero. The city of Inglewood for the first six months of nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety eight, seven ninety eight was zero mm-hmm. on homicides. Because mm-hmm. we work that community. Because I live in the community. So people who are talking about the problem has to live within the sphere of what the problem is so Correct. they can lead, lend their expertise, but also be willing to listen. Correct. And that's and huge. And let people tell their story. Mm-hmm. You know, the other caller, he just, he just hung up. But that is true. Is we do have to listen and not judge, listen to acknowledge, not listen to understand. And we start talking about diversity. Diversity is good. Now, I don't want to live in an all, 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 all black community, but I don't want to live in an all, 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 all white community either because I've had that experience when I'm all white. But those people, they had to learn some stuff about me because I ain't the one. But when we start talking about diversity, we have to have a better understanding. I want to read some things that I saw just um, between last night, because I wanted to make sure I had my thoughts together before we came on the air to talk about this. But when we was, what I saw was, one thing I saw, it said, never sit so high that you belittle others, because God can always flip the script. So that means the same people that you may be stepping on while you're at the top, you may need their help when you're on the bottom. And I, I mean, I've learned that I've experienced it because I get calls sometimes from judges or people con- connecting with me. Hey, Jeanette, we need your help with this. Jeanette, you, you know, and sometimes I have to learn how to say no. But if I can in any way, I do my best to help in situations where I can. So, again, never sit so high that you belittle others because God can always flip the script. Then I saw something that my cousin Bobo had posted on Facebook, and he said, I love my family so much. I can't wait to the world see what we're capable of. And that's what I want to say about the black community and responsibility. The world is really afraid of what we are capable of. And that is part of why guns get brought into the community, drugs and alcohol get brought into the community. The fathers are told to leave the home. Mothers are taught you can do this by yourself. Now you got mothers sleeping with other females. Daddy's gone, people on drugs. You got all domestic violence and all of this stuff going on. 
But we really need to show the world what the black community is capable of. And when we start talking about black people issues, you know, I was, my daughter and I had a conversation a while ago, and something that happened, we was watching a show, and I said, oh, they got black people issues. And it's not a racial thing. But, and that doesn't mean that there are some things that just don't discriminate, because we all go, go through some things. But by that same token, we need to find out what the needs are in the community. What do they need? What do they want? Don't just throw stuff at them, and they don't even need it. It's like in Compton, they used to have this um, organization that was giving out food. Dr. Oliver, I, would, I pulled up one time because I would get the food, give it to other people. Some people gave me 50 pounds of onions. What the hell am I going to do with 50 pounds of onions? It ain't that much onion rings and french fries and onions and potatoes and onions that I can <laughs> in the world. I didn't need no 50-pound bag of onions. <laughs> it took me back to my childhood when my mother's boyfriend used to keep 150 pounds of onions, 50 pounds of potatoes. And I was so bad, Dr. Oliver, I'd be standing outside throwing onions and grapefruit in people in the head with them. We, we had so many onions, I used to throw them at folks. So, um, and that's what it reminded me of. So when we start talking about, yeah, it's okay to feed individuals when they were experiencing financial difficulties because of COVID. Why are you going to give one person a hundred, I mean, a 50-pound bag of onions? What the hell am going to do with all the onions? So we need to know and assess what they need. And I also want to speak on this, Dr. Oliver, because I know you may have some insight. This was another thing that used to bother me as a kid. When we look, and we got to know our history. you got to know your history because we all have a test. At the same token, why is it that even when we watch these movies and the documentaries, the good guys, the people that was trying to make a change, wind up dead? And see, that's why I tell people, don't start no mess, won't be no mess. Now, I know sometimes my arthritis be kicking my butt, but I'm not the one. But when you're looking at these things, somebody always trying to blackball you, shame you, remind you of something, or kill you. Why is it that they feel they got to kill folks because people are coming into the community trying to help? Why do they want them dead? Because they say you can, stop, you can try to kill the dream, but you ain't going to kill the dream. Can you speak on that a little bit, Dr. Oliver, because a lot of individuals are intimidated. Well, if you're intimidated, you shouldn't be in the being active arena in today's, you know, in today's world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to be willing to speak out about it and say what's on your mind. That's the reason why I'm still in the classroom at 79. Mm-hmm. It's my bully pulpit. <laughs> I got academic freedom in that puppy. You know what? I, I got, got a, a I got a, I got, I got a curriculum. <laughs> you know, you uh-huh. all curriculum. I got a sister from another mother. She's been trying to get me to come teach at the community colleges. I've been knowing her for at least five years. She's been trying to. She you every time they have an opening at uh, Miracosta or Palomar, she's forever sending me information. I've been telling her, I don't want to come teach. But the thing is, she was obedient with me. When I told her she needed to get her license as an LMFT, she got hers as an LMFT and an LPCC. So I'm very proud of her. So when she sends me information about, Jeanette, I need you to sit on this board, or Jeanette, I need you to do this, or Jeanette, I always follow through because she followed through. But she's still trying to get me to come and teach. And I'd be like, look, I'm the type of teacher, I want my apple, we're going to be taking breaks. We go, 
But I, she sees in me, apparently, that I have something to offer not only the students, but perhaps maybe some of these boards of directors and these deans that are at some of these schools because she knows my drive mm-hmm. and my personality. But like I said. And fellow colleagues. And fellow yeah, colleagues. And, and that's why she brings that. And I know that's why. I know that's why. And I think that's our connection now where Dorian, because he knows the lady, connected me with you. The other man, he didn't even want to talk to me. So I'm just like, but we need more individuals to just bring this information out. Just talk about it. Just a dialogue. Just a conversation. Now, like I said, don't be scared. So tell people what you need. Let them know what you are not going to tolerate or what you're not going to stand for. Like I said, I didn't like being told no. But just because I say I have two corporations, it's not that I'm bragging. It's not that I'm rolling in a dough because both of my businesses are designed to help people. And I don't try to sell nobody short. And nor do I go around talking about I'm better than anybody or anything like that. I just don't do what some people do, but I don't look down on them. And I want them to teach me because I've learned from clients just like I'm able to teach them. It's a two-way street. So responsibility is not just a black or white thing. It is a responsibility. It's ownership. It's acknowledging. It's having a sense of awareness. That's where the responsibility, in my opinion, comes from. Not that I gotta just go out there and do something, I gotta go clean up everything, but it's at least need to know it exists. I can't just walk around and close my eyes like this stuff is not happening. It's like I'll never get my daughter my sister told me one time about the projects and she told me it was a study. I'm like, A study? She said, Yeah. They put a bunch of people, came housing, was low income, give them food stamps, give them a check, and they wanna see how people act. And you wind up, you see people killing each other, jealous of each other, always at the mall when they get their check because they didn't teach them about responsibilities or the only accountability we saw, Dr. Oliver, was I'm going to put you in jail to hold you accountable. And that was not yeah. 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 That yeah. is not and, an accountability. And, and, I'm going to teach you to make you accountable. No, that don't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see. Uh, you know, I like to say about community colleges, people look down upon us teaching community college, but community college is some of the best paid positions in California. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, some yes, of the city. best paid positions in California. Because, mm-hmm, because you know what it is that I think, Dr. Oliver? I think they look at status. They want to be professor so-and-so and so-and-so at Harvard or professor so But y'all make really good money, and people don't realize that. And sometimes all you need to do is have a master's degree and, or, you know, have experience. But see, that's – now, and like I said, I was obedient because I have applied. But the problem is because I have not taught at an institution, my application gets overlooked. But I'm definitely qualified and have the experience because I do EAP mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but when individuals my resume, they're thinking, well, she has not taught in the community – uh, on a community college level, but you won't give me an opportunity. <laughs> you won't give me. But it's okay because the same individuals might have to come to me one day for therapy, and then they'll get you. qualified. And not a matter of might have to, should have contacted you already 
because of the mind and human behavioral games that even in higher education is being played. Correct, 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 correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, we definitely don't have to have more dialogue as it relates to this topic because it's not a one-shot deal where we can just say who's responsible or how do we become responsible, how do we hold each other accountable. But the thing is we do have to be aware. We do have to know not only what's going on in our home. We don't have to be a caring and be all up in other people's business, but we do have to make sure that our community is safe. We have to make sure that our community is healthy because if it was something or if it wasn't worth nothing to nobody, people wouldn't be trying to take your land. They wouldn't be trying to take people. I'll never forget back in the 80s when individuals in Compton were told to go to Moreno Valley and buy a home. And, yeah. and my mother said, yeah. I'm not going nowhere. My mother said, I'm not moving. Yeah. I'm not going nowhere. Yeah. And the majority of them people lost some properties. Got them up out of Compton. Now yeah. they can't even afford to live back in Compton because the prices in That's Compton, right. the houses are so expensive. I was talking to my ex-husband and looking up his house, and it's worth $500,000. And I remember how much his mother told me she paid for it. Why would you do that? So we need to use wisdom and have a better understanding. You know, we run to casinos. We run to the liquor store. We run to churches. I told my daughter, I said, ooh, I want to go to play blackjack, but I'm not. So instead of playing blackjack, I've been online invested in stocks and stockpiles and E-Trade. And, you know, we got to find things to do with our time as well as finding other ways to spend our money. Okay? And people have to be have to be willing to have to be willing to listen. That's what I say again. Listen mm-hmm. and to be taught. I've got a, a, a guy. He's my stock guy. Morgan Stanley, Dean Witter, wealth manager, the black kid. Uh, when I say kid, he's in his 50s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been in charge of my money for the last tw- almost 25 years. I need to give you a call. And, <laughs> huh? I need to give you a call <laughs> later on today off the air because I need his number. Uh, and, I don't know and, what and, I'm and doing, the, but I'm trying to spend more money on stocks than I was spending at the casino. <laughs> give me give me a call. You got my phone number. Give me a call and I, I get his name and phone number. But see, the thing uh, what I'm trying to say is we all these words that are used, responsibility, accountability, etc., those are heavily laden trigger words mm-hmm. that when one person hears it, the other person hears something else. Mm-hmm. And so that was the reason why I'm saying, you know, okay, so Bill Cosby has got released from custody. Mm-hmm. I don't know nothing about the criminal allegations. I know what the court system's supposed to do. The court system through the DA did what they were supposed to do. But an appellate court Above them, which is the way it's laid out, says you can't do that. That's well, due process, and he got released from custody. I don't know me, what he did. All I know is when Bill Cosby came out and made the statements he did, America's father became uh, became spit upon. Correct. Because well, let me people say didn't like. Let me say this. What he Bill said. Cosby mm. is a very educated man. Bill Cosby didn't do no more than what other people were doing. 
But it's kind of like the old saying go, if you take one man and selling weed and he, you give him a slap on the wrist or give him probation, and you got another man selling weed and you give him 10, 000, give him 10 years in prison, okay? Now, the problem yep. is Bill Cosby, when the, lady, the person sued him civilly, allegedly he made a deal with the DA because Bill Cosby ain't stupid. Bill Cosby shared information in the civil suit that he would not have been would he would not have exposed in a criminal case, and they used that information. But the person was already paid, and the person shouldn't have embarrassed herself. And I'm not saying, and I'm not going to get a victim, but apparently it was going to come out because Bill Cosby. That was the problem. So the thing is, the DA didn't just do what the DA did. The DA. One DA was that made the deal was gone. Now you got another DA thinking because there was a hung jury, we go get him like with OJ. Yeah. It went somewhere and sat down and didn't do it. But the problem was, of course, they had no choice but to overturn it. But they never said he didn't do it. But it was so long ago. But when you start looking at what one person did bad was what they did good. So now it's in a whole other uproar within a community. But it goes back to but what? they made a deal with him. And they, they shouldn't want to get their deal. So that's part of the following through, the commitment, because he wouldn't have put himself in that situation. But the thing of it is, what I'm trying to get a point across is uh, people fail to separate out what he initially said about the black community and the black family, mm-hmm. but remember only what he did in a criminal matter. And that is what he was initially scapegoated about, about how dare you get on stage and talk down to us like that. And see, that's mm-hmm. the problem. One of the problems we got in the black community is that we, we, are, we are too darn sensitive. We are too darn sensitive. I said that earlier on the show. But you know what? And that goes back to my girl, Felicia Rashad. I love me some Felicia Rashad. She had to be careful with what she said. And as soon as she spoke out, they wanted to come after her. They was waiting on her. They were waiting on her. They were waiting on Felicia Rashad. And that's my girl and her sister Debbie Allen, them some cold sisters. So the thing is, you cannot, you know, everybody you ain't going to break. Because even if we crack, we know how to put ourselves back together again. And that goes back oh, to yeah. the responsibility of the black community. We got to learn yep. to put the community back together. It ain't going to be perfect. But you don't have to let people come in and destroy it. Now, Dr. Oliver, we know we're way over our time, and I know i got a 1 o'clock therapy session, so let me get out of the radio mode and get back to therapy. But thank you for okay, bringing this topic to my attention. Even though we talked okay. about it in ways, I appreciate that. And anything else you okay. want to talk about, let me know. I'm fair game. All right. Because I ain't sure. All right. <laughs> okay, All right. Thank Have you. a blessed one. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us here at Precious Predicaments Blog Talk Radio. And until tomorrow, I had a topic written down. And um, y'all see, I still didn't eat my breakfast. So I got to eat. So, again, thank you for joining us, and I will talk to you tomorrow at 1130. If you want to call in on the show, give me a call, 516-387-1914, because I do want to hear your thoughts and your comments. You can subscribe to the show. Have any topics you want me to discuss, let me know. Till tomorrow, take care. Bye.
Hey, this is Jeanette. I'm ready to log on right now. Okay? Okay. Bye-bye.